0: You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Would you go to Luke chapter 1, please? Luke chapter 1. Today I'm going to look at the, uh, the biblical view of Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Virgin Mary. Uh, I've entitled my sermon when Mary said yes, when Mary said yes. And this actually is in relationship to Mary agreeing with the angel Gabriel. And I also juxtaposed it. Remember last week, Pastor Rick talked about Zacharias and how Zacharias was disbelieving of what the angel said and gave him a hard time and actually ended up mute. Mary does the exact opposite. Now I want to What I'd really like to do, I'm hoping my prayer is that that we leave today with a balanced, theologically balanced view of Mary. Uh, Us as Protestants, or I'll say non-Catholics, non-Roman Catholics, I, I really think we've tended to downplay Mary. In this section of scripture, either we totally ignore it or we hurry past it and really don't grasp the significance. And I just think it's a shame, obviously. Obviously, it's easy to understand why we do that. I mean, I, I, I see how that came about. Uh, but when we do that, we're really missing an amazing example of faith and obedience that Mary had. And again, it's easy to see why. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church has given Mary, I'll say, a non-biblical or extra-biblical description. They've... Uh, They basically told us that Mary was born sinless and died sinless, uh, that she had this perfection, and that just simply isn't true. In fact, Mary herself disavows that later, and I'll, I'll get to that. But one of the things that's a shame is they also teach the perpetual virginity of Mary, meaning she had no other children besides Jesus. Again, the Bible discounts this. They'll say that Mary now stands, presently right now, stands as a mediator between God and man. And you can pray to Mary for various things. And there is absolutely no, zero evidence of that in the Bible. And the deal was, as theologians rightly recognize these errors that that the Catholic Church ascribed to Mary... The pendulum actually swung too far, in my opinion, like most times. Yeah, they corrected it, but they, I think it swung too far. They absolutely diminished Mary to just another woman, and she absolutely was not that. That's completely wrong. I can say with confidence there's never been another woman like Mary of her spiritual status, for sure. Uh, she's a spirit-filled woman, a woman of extraordinary faith, extraordinary faith, not to mention her connection with the Lord Jesus Christ was like no other person on earth, no other person on earth, that's special. In fact, the angel Gabriel, do you remember when he met her, and and, uh, I'll read this, but he says, uh, you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. She should be, and I mean this, Mary should be, for men and women, a role model of faith and obedience. So let me do this. That's my brief introduction. I'm gonna start in Luke chapter one, verse 26. If you can go to verse 26, I'll read through verse 38 and, uh, and we'll pick a few things out. Now, for some of you uh, Bible Sunday school graduates, you know this section is called the Annunciation of Christ or the Announcement of Christ but it's replete with the best description of Mary and the woman of faith she was, at least in my opinion. So Father, I pray, even as I said earlier, Lord, would you intervene? I pray you would move your servant out of the way and you would fill me with the spirit in that this, let us walk away with the view of Mary that you intended. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me get to scripture here. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month... you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Amen. Amen. So I think one of the most striking things about this narrative, this piece of scripture describing Mary and the birth of Jesus, is that the Bible names real actual places and real actual people. These things can be verified. All this can be verified. And to be honest, this was one of the reasons it was so hard to believe for the first century Jew. This was incredibly hard for a Jew to believe. You see, uh, the angel Gabriel, it says he, you know, he went to Nazareth in Galilee. He ignored Judea. He ignored Jerusalem. That is the heartland of God's work over the last several centuries. That's where God basically did his business. The angel ignored those places, didn't he? Instead, he went to Nazareth in Galilee, this was a place of contempt for the Jew, utter contempt. They had a mongrelized population, a mixed population. Uh, basically, Nazareth was overrun by Gentiles and Romans. It was basically a corrupt halfway stop between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon. It's a place, if you had to go, you just hurried through. You weren't staying there. It was about a know-nothing thing. You remember in, in John 1 when Philip uh, was, he found Nathanael, and he told Nathanael, hey, we have found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Huh. Nathanael says, uh, Nazareth, can anything, come, anything good come from there? That is scathing. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So by all accounts, Nazareth was a know-nothing, corrupt place. And not only did the angel skip Judea and Jerusalem, where else did he skip that would seem like there would be something going on? The temple, the most holy place, totally bypassed. So for the theological and religious Jew at the time, it's like this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Angel Gabriel went to the lowly House of Mary, and I guarantee it wasn't much. It wasn't much. Scholars and historians tell us that at this time, Mary was between the age of 12 and 14. Let's just say she was 13. She's a very young girl. She was a peasant girl, poor, most likely illiterate as well. And her knowledge of the scripture was just what she could glean from being at home with her parents or when she did go to the synagogue. But let me say, it wasn't much. It wasn't like she was a young man, maybe studying to be a Pharisee or a priest, you know, a, a, a young man at that age would have had a great knowledge of scripture. She didn't have much knowledge at all, which makes her response even more amazing to me, at least. So by all accounts, Mary was living a very unremarkable life that probably would have stayed that way had it not been for this particular account. But I think, I mean, my opinion is, doesn't this show us something wonderful about the heart of God, doesn't it? That the greatest news ever proclaimed in Israel came to the most humble amongst them. The greatest news ever proclaimed came to the most humble. I like what Martin Luther said about this. Listen to what uh, the reformer said about this, talking about the incarnation. He said he might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, Who was beautiful, rich, and clad in gold embroidered raiment and attended by a retinue of maids. But God preferred a low maid from a lowly town. I'll say this, it's speculation, but I'll stand behind it. I believe if the incarnation happened today, it would be the same. I don't think the Lord would be born in Jerusalem or Rome or London or Los Angeles. It would be some ordinary town on some ordinary street. I believe that. See, the Lord comes to the needy, those who realize they have spiritual lack, who are not proud. That's where the Lord does his work. In a nutshell, I'll say this, with Christmas coming, the birth of Christ or Christmas is not for the proud and self-confident It is actually for the needy. It really cannot cannot have meaning for for the proud and self-confident. And as we look at Mary, I'm going to say this. I think that she is a model for us for the experience of new birth in Christ or knowing the Savior personally. And I think I'll prove that throughout my sermon. Now, let me break down a few verses. I'm going to just look at three verses, 26 through 29, and pick a couple things out here. Again, in the sixth month, Gabriel sent the angel. Uh, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, "Greetings! You are highly favored. The Lord is with you." Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So initially, I think these verses tell us something so astounding about Mary. Remember, she's a 13-year-old girl. She's not some cosmopolitan from some rich town. She's an illiterate peasant girl. And this had to be just a shocking supernatural event to have this angel show up and start talking to you. But notice what she did. She held her composure and she cooperated with what the angel told and agreed not like Zacharias. Remember, just a few verses before, Zacharias disagreed and was struck mute, not Mary. Now, unfortunately, I'll point this out in, in verse 28, uh, we, we have a, a translation from the Latin Vulgate, which really has gone a long way to put Mary in the wrong spot or, or give her uh, 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 equality with God or deify her. The Latin Vulgate trans, translate verse 28 as this, hail Mary full of grace, not greetings, you are highly favored. And some of you that might have uh, had a, a background in the Roman church, will that'll sound very familiar, hail Mary full of grace. But it's way too strong a rendering. If Luke, the writer, would have wanted to say that Mary was full of grace, he would have done it like he did in Acts, speaking about Stephen, but what happened was very unfortunate. The Catholic Church took that translation from the Latin Vulgate, Hail Mary, full of grace. They ran with it till the time when Pope Pius IX declared that Mary was sinless and had every gift. This is written down. She's sinless and had every gift, not only spiritual gifts, but secular gifts above those of angels or anyone else. And that was a big time cause for the veneration of Mary and, and the belief that you can pray to Mary and ask for things even to the point of salvation if you can believe that, but that that's exactly what happened. I'll say this 100%, Mary would have been horrified at the thought that she was sinless or didn't need a savior. She would have been horrified and I can prove that. I'm gonna go a few verses ahead in Luke verses 46 through 55. You'll see this section of your Bible, and it'll either say Mary's Song or the Magnificat. It's a section of scripture in which Mary is responding to God for this great thing that just happened. Listen to what, uh, and she's very reverent, she's very humble. Listen to what she says in verse 47 She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, my Savior. Mary knew she needed a savior. Uh, Our our, our brothers and sisters in the Roman church, they got that one wrong. Mary was humble. She knew she needed a savior. I will say this too. She knew the baby that would be born to her would be not only her baby, but her savior. Wrap your mind around that one. That's something to think about. And again, you know, the Protestants, yeah, we overcorrected and we dismissed her. I think we should do that. Mary, if you look at it pragmatically, look at it statistically, Mary's the only woman out of the billions of women that were ever born on planet earth that was chosen to carry and nurse the son of God. Think about it. Her face was the face that Jesus most resembled. Think about that. Her face was the face that Jesus most resembled. The Savior bore some of her human features, no doubt about it. Jesus' face could be seen in her face. And I think just because too many have really thought too much of her in no way, shape, or form justifies us thinking too little of her. And I think it displeases the Lord. Quite honestly, I'll say that. I think it displeases the Lord. When the angel Gabriel said that the Lord is with you, what he's saying is that God's holy presence was resting on her. Can I say that that same verbiage was used to all the Old Testament patriarchs and saints, putting her, putting Mary on par with Moses, Abraham, Pickham. Mary was on par with any of them. She had the presence of God resting on her in the exact same way. And then verse 29 says something amazing about this 13-year-old. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, I have always been taught and by good teachers that the translation of greatly troubled meant scared out of your mind because this angel was in front of you. But I did, I did a deep dive and I looked. I looked at the literal translation. What greatly troubled meant was kept pondering kept pondering what it was. She was troubled because she wanted to know what does this mean? What is the angel telling me? That is so healthy. Not fright, but she pondered God's word. Tell me that's not a good thing. See, this 13-year-old girl was able to get get past the appearance of this majestic supernatural angel and she wanted to understand what he was telling her. She meditated on this. See, Mary wasn't flighty or shallow. She was reflective and meditative. She wanted to know what this message would require of her. She was thinking about this. I think that's a wonderful trait. I think it's a great example. How about us today? Let's think about it. A lot of times I'm too busy to meditate on God's word or say, God, what does your word mean to me what will it require of me this is exactly what mary did exactly psalm 119 78 says i will meditate on your precepts i think we need such a heart like mary's to meditate on the precepts of god verse 30 through 34 let's take a look verse 30 says this but the angel said to her, do not be afraid mary So Gabriel gets into some particulars with her, doesn't he? More than a greeting now, now he starts getting into some particulars about what's gonna happen. He basically says, you're gonna have a baby boy and you're gonna name him Jesus. Now, just at this point, I don't think Mary totally grasped what was going on. The name Jesus was fairly common. It meant savior. But then, you know, it gets a lot more stunning Because the angel drops the information that your son will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. I tell you what, at this point, Mary gets the gist of what the angel Gabriel is saying. Basically in a nutshell, okay, you're gonna become pregnant. You're gonna name your son salvation. He's going to be the son of God and he's gonna be the Messiah. That's exactly what was said to her. That's a heck of a lot to comprehend let alone for a 13-year-old peasant girl. That's a bunch to comprehend right there. But Mary asks a very logical question, doesn't she? She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Or the literal translation is, how can this be since I have not known a man sexually? So important to note that this is not a question of unbelief in no way, shape, or form. Mary is not saying she doesn't believe. She's asking, I think, for enlightenment, This question is purely biological, if you will. Like God, how are you gonna do this? She's all for it, God, how are you gonna do this? And again, I think it's a model for us in this. If you have had the born again experience, I'll say if you've experienced the birth of Christ in your life, I can say this, God is not offended by your honest questions. He is not offended by your honest questions. And I think it's a very good question. We can all, I think we can all ask God, God, how do I experience the life of Jesus in my own life? Lord, how do I do that? I think it's a really healthy question. And before we leave this section of scripture, let me make a quick observation that I think will be helpful because this whole idea of virgin birth well, it's actually virgin conception is, is even more radical, but virgin, virgin conception and birth, it's hard to believe by so many. But think of it in this terms. Doesn't it make sense that the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, would both enter and exit the world in a supernatural way? Doesn't that make sense? It, it does to me. He entered through birth, through the birth of a virgin a human mother, no human father. He exited through resurrection, being brought back from the dead and then ascension into heaven. Can I say categorically that neither of these two things will ever happen again? And also they will never be understood by man. They will never be understood. But this is our God. This makes sense to me. Verse 35 through 38. So the answer that Mary gets from the angel is not only specific to her, but it really speaks to us. That's actually God's personal answer to all of us. It foreshadows salvation. See, what's described here when it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you'll be overshadowed by the Most High, This doesn't describe some sexual union with divinity as some have really crudely tried to say. Not at all. There's no sexual overtones here whatsoever in the original language. The word uh, that we translate overshadow, it's the same word used in the Greek Old Testament to describe God's presence in the temple His thick presence in the temple, the exact same word is used. And in the New Testament, this word we translate overshadow, it talks about the presence of God at the transfiguration. Do you remember when the Lord was with a couple apostles and this cloud of glory fell? It was like nothing else. Same word that was used. I mean, I can't whiteboard this, but I can tell you it's an incredible, overpowering, filling with the Lord, it's, it's something. I mean, it's, it's not, as again, it's not a sexual experience, but I'll say this, Mary could consciously feel something happening to her. No two ways about it. How could anyone that was in the temple at the time when God, God's presence were there, or, or if you were at, at the transfiguration, when the spirit is that thick, you can feel it. There is a palpable feeling to it. And I really believe that Mary understood this. She felt it and she understood the significance. And it's my opinion that this right here, right now, this had such an impact on on Mary that it sustained her faith through the tumultuous months and years that were to come. And there was some real horrendous stuff that was about to happen. So, for those of us that have been born again or had the birth of Christ in our life, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we have new life, you feel it, don't you? I bet you if I, I won't, but I've asked you to raise your hands. If you've ever felt the presence of the Spirit in a profound way, everyone that's saved would raise their hand. Scripture is replete with examples. John 3 6 says, That which is born of spirit is spirit. First Corinthians 12 13 says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And Romans 9:16. I like this. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When that happens, there is something palpable and it is real, it is real. And this is a wonderful gift, I'll say to everyone, that Christ offers to anyone and everyone. It's new life from above. It's something that we cannot do for ourselves. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel he also leaves Elizabeth with a sign, doesn't he, that this is true. He says, "Guess what? Your relative Elizabeth, who's very old, is pregnant." Now Mary had no way of knowing this. And, you know, if you research, you see that when when Elizabeth became pregnant, she went into seclusion for 6 months in the hill country. It says that earlier in the book of Luke. So Mary had no idea of this, but I'll tell you what, if you keep going through Luke, it turns out that that Elizabeth was such a comfort to Mary, this young pregnant woman as she went through this. It was just set up beautifully. And then Gabriel, I love this, his parting words in verse 38, for nothing is impossible with God. Remember that dear friends, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary would have to rely on this truth so heavily, so heavily, as certainly we will see. This young girl knew that this story would be questioned. She's pregnant and everything that happened, this encounter with God, she knew it'd be questioned. But in faith and submission, what were the first words out of her mouth? I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. I just think this is such a wonderful picture of surrendering her reputation to God. Something we should do too. She surrendered her reputation. See, she would have been thought to be a promiscuous harlot being pregnant, not married. It's a big deal then. I mean, a super big deal. Uh, They actually prescribed the death penalty if you were found in that condition, although at that point in time, it wasn't always carried out. In fact, maybe even rarely, but let me say this. At a minimum, the adulterous woman would have been shunned by her family, shunned by society and been destitute. That's a death sentence, I'm telling you. That is a death sentence. But Mary... Mary knew all this very well, but she still surrendered her reputation to the Lord and said, let it be as you say. You see, when God directs our path and we're obedient to him, he takes care of all the details, good friends. You don't have to worry about anything. Your job is to be obedient. God will take care of those tough things. I mean, I put myself in Joseph's place and I can't imagine being Joseph and Mary saying, hey, honey, I'm pregnant, but I didn't have sex with another man. Think about that for a quick second. Uh, And by the way, it's God's son. This is God's kid here. Um, I just, uh, it's for, for me, I mean, to put it in real terms, that's a lot. That, that's a lot. I, I, and honestly, without the help of the Lord, I don't think Mary on her own could have convinced Joseph of that. Let me just give you a brief example. How did God fix this? Listen to how God took care of this one. I'm gonna read Matthew 1, 18 through 21. You have to go there, but, but let's see how God took care of this. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Joseph. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God is more than capable, dear friends, of taking care of the rough details. He'll take care of it firsthand. Such wisdom, this 13-year-old girl, such wisdom, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let me ask you, Can we repeat those same words with conviction to the Lord right now? It's a question. See, I think Mary's life was a model of submission, and it speaks of a a great truth that we cannot experience the full power of Christ in his ongoing power without fully surrendering ourselves to him. And as I close, I'm wrapping it up now, I wanna reflect just on a couple things that I think are important. It's the attributes of Mary that model the ideal disciple. I hope we're all disciples of Christ. Let me just take a few attributes of Mary, highlight them. I'd like you to take those home with you. First, she was humble and poor in spirit. She was not self-sufficient. This allowed her heart to be in the position to receive God's grace. That is a good thing. That is a very good thing. Mary was reflective and meditative on God's word. She was not shallow or superficial. She took God's word and thought about it. She took God's word and let it change her. Mary was believing regarding God's power and his promises. Yeah, she might have wondered about the mechanics of it a little bit and asked God, how can this be? But again, she knew, she knew that God could do what he promised in no uncertain terms. She was a model of Hebrews 11.1 that says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is it. And finally, she gave herself completely to the Lord's submission. Again, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, it's because of these things, dear friends, that we rightly call Mary blessed. You are right to call Mary blessed in no uncertain terms. What I'd like to do is ask the prayer team to come up. Would you guys come up? I don't know how many are are here today, but if you're here, would you please come up? All right. Thanks, Dr. D. And I'm gonna pray in a second and you'll be dismissed, but I'm gonna ask you to come forward. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go over a few things. And if the spirit at all is touching your heart in any way, please come forward. If, first and foremost, have you experienced the new birth of Christ in your life? That's number one. That's the biggest thing. That's the only thing that will matter 100 years from now. Can I tell you that? Have you experienced the new birth of Christ in your life? Do you need to be filled with the Spirit to emulate some of these attributes that we just saw in Mary? I know I do. If you do, come forward. Let's pray over that. And lastly, do you have friends or loved ones that need to be overshadowed by the Spirit? Non believers that need to be overshadowed by the Spirit? If that's the case, let's pray about that. Lord God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity, Lord God. I thank you for the example and who Mary was. Lord, thank you. Now, Lord, I pray that we can emulate that quality of belief, that faith, that submission. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.